0: But if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you, as the choir's coming down, I want you to turn to uh, 2 Chronicles and chapter 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And uh, in saying that, I want to just remind you um, that uh, if you have not picked up one of these 30-day devotions for the month of October, even though we're halfway through the month, I would encourage you to get one of these and begin it. Uh, from the beginning and read it through. It is powerful, it is uh, pointed, and it is much needed for our time in which we're living today. As a matter of fact, the last couple of weeks and, and, and prayed about what I might share uh, this morning has come from inspiration that I have gotten from doing this devotion. And today I want to again remind you that uh, the Lord is speaking through His Word and through His Spirit. And praying this week for what I might preach on. Uh, Again, I got one of those texts uh, on Thursday morning that said uh, to encourage your church to pray and desire the presence of the Lord. So God began to speak in my heart about what we might share this morning. And and in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and chapter 30, we're going to see what God has to say to us today about a desire for revival, I wonder how many of us today in the church really have a desire to be revived? How many of us are so content in where we are that we don't even desire anymore for God's Spirit to work in and through us to change us, to draw us closer to Himself? So I'm going to ask that if you would, if you found Second Chronicles chapter 29, I want to read the first eight verses to set it up this morning, and then we'll pick out sections throughout these next uh, uh, couple of chapters for uh, times in which I'll make certain points to. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 29, I want to read verses 1 through 8 with you. For those of you that are at home, don't have your Bibles, it is there on the screen for you to follow along. And it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, uh, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourself and sanctify the house of the Lord. God of our fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. For the fathers have transgressed, or transpassed, and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken Him, and have turned away their faces from the inhabitations of the Lord, and turned their backs... Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and He has delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and and to hissing, as you see with your eyes. Father, we ask that as we hear... And now I've read the reading of the word of the Lord. In Hezekiah's day, we see that, Father, that there was a, a, a wickedness that had come across the land, and even the church house had closed their doors. Oh, how the, that kind of reminds us of what we have been seeing and going through in 2020. Lord, we pray that, Father, as we look to your Word today, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fall upon this as we have prayed already this morning, asking for a freshness of your Spirit, a filling of your Spirit, a convicting of your Spirit, and, Lord, a new desire for a reviving of heart and soul and mind. Lord, we need to, uh, as it was said in Sunday school, not just talk about it, but we need to begin to do it. Lord, would you begin a work in us today, and may we begin to take steps forward for you. Lord, I ask that you would take the the hearing of the Word of God now, and by your Spirit, Father, convict our hearts, we pray. Lord, lead God and direct, move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross, let your Word speak true to us today, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated. In Second Chronicles chapter twenty-nine and thirty, we see a man by the name of Hezekiah. Now, I, I got to start off by just saying that uh, this week. Uh, um, I had to call Tony Eldreth on Saturday morning about mid morning and ask him to fill in Sunday school because Miss Glenda had to be out because Richard ended up in the hospital and she had to be home with her dad and so I asked Tony to teach Sunday school for me not knowing what he would teach then going in and sitting in there and listening to what he said I said to him at the end the Lord has spoken to you because you have set the stage for what I wanted he talked about the days of Noah and the need for repentance and the wickedness that was in the land and how God's heart was grieved. He set the stage, God did, for the message this morning. We have to have a desire of revival. Let me ask you the question, would you believe that our homes need revival? Our churches need revival? Would you agree with me that the nation and the world needs revival? But let me tell you that no military power can bring revival. No or economic upturn will bring revival. No election will bring revival. Revival is the sovereign work of an a almighty God who pours out himself upon his people through his spirit when we the people have prepared ourselves for his coming. Now second Chronicles chapter twenty nine through thirty is a story of a young king and in and, and studying this I, I, I got great hope. In the fact that when we looked at Hezekiah, he was a 25-year-old young man. And I wonder today how many of our millennials, how many of our young people are, are really, really ready to be on fire for the Lord. I believe there might be more than what we imagine. There might be more Hezekiahs out there, young people that are saying, It's time that we step up and tell the world that we must change the direction in which this world is going. I found great hope in looking at this young man and what he did. Hezekiah, the king, stood in the gap of a faithlessness and disobedience for the people of God at a critical moment in the history of Israel. King Hezekiah was a man who believed God, and on that behalf, he believed God for his people whose faith and radical all-in obedience preserved his nation from disaster. Folks, let me just say to you that we, the church, need to be the, the ones that are recognized that we have a position to play to stand in need of, of being there so that we can save our nation from disaster. I believe the church has found herself in the same place looking for someone who is willing to stand in the gap for her. Many Christians are discouraged today and have lost all hope of revival. Many don't even believe that revival is possible anymore. They think the world has gotten so bad that the things have gotten so bad that God has just shut up the doors, He's closed the place up, and He's walked off and went on vacation. But I want to tell you that not only is revival possible, revival is inevitable when God's people will get right with God. Listen, my friends, I tell you the truth. We need to recognize that revival can happen. So let me ask the question, then, why is there no revival? Listen carefully, because I believe that these statements are true. Not because of the liberalism that has reached into our church. Not because of the disunity among God's people today. Or not even because we've become worldly and compromised the very stand on the Word of God. Even if we get all of these matters changed, even if we get all of these things right, it still would not be revival. Did you hear what I said? Even if we got rid of the compromise, even if we stood strong on the word, even if uh, we got together, that is not what revival is. Listen, even if we get all these things together, that's not what revival is. There ain't the, that's not the reason for no revival. They are the results of no revival. That's the outcome of God not doing and showing up because of His people. And and Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 1, Isaiah gives us a perfect illustration of what revival is. Oh, that you, almighty God, would rend the heavens and that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Listen, my friends, the Bible tells us that, That revival is when God fills the place. When God comes down out of heaven and by His Spirit, He comes and shows His presence among God's people. Revival is meeting with Almighty God. You see, most of us are seeking God to do something for our church for our family, for our nation. Our prayers are all about, God, will you do? God, will you do this? God, will you do that? God, will you make a difference? And listen, we should be saying not, God, what will you do for our family, our church, or our nation? But we should be seeking God's hand, not, uh, or not seeking His hand, but seeking His face. Our hearts need to yearn for God. I wonder how many of us have a desire that God would meet you here this morning. How many of you got out of bed this morning thinking, I'm going to the house of the Lord because there I will meet with God. We need a desire to meet with God. We need a desire that says that I want to be in His presence. We should be saying, oh God, will you come down? Will you show your presence once again? You see, I believe that God loves to come down. He loves to come down out of heaven. He loves to dwell among His people. He came down when the Lord Jesus stepped out of heaven to save us. He came down at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down and baptized the infant church with wonderful power and wonderful blessings. And Jesus is coming down again at His second coming. And uh, uh, if you study the record of the church in the modern history, You will find from time to time and from place to place, God has come down and visited His people. And revival has filled the land. And God's presence has made a difference. I want God to come down upon the church. How about you? Can I get an amen? Uh, I believe that God wants to come down. Many don't believe that it's possible, but I believe that it's possible. Every Tuesday morning I meet with a group of people that come to this very altar and we pray that God will send a Holy Spirit revival upon our land. And He'll begin in our churches. That He'll begin in Ashe County. That He'll begin in your life and in my life. And we've been doing it for several years. And you say, well, preacher, you've been doing it for several years, but we haven't seen it. Listen, I know that we haven't seen that yet, but I believe that God is coming. I believe that He is coming to do one of two things, either to send a great awakening or to send a great judgment upon us as a nation. And I'm praying for the first more than the other. Uh, I I don't get the idea that America has to change before we can have revival. You, my friend, can have revival. We can have revival in the church. You can have revival in your family. You can be a a personal revival. You can have revival whenever and wherever. You can be a one-person revival if you are willing to stand in the gap And to call God down from heaven into your presence. So I want to look at four things very quickly this morning uh, from this text that I believe that talks about our desire and need for a desire for revival. Revival happens when God's people clean up their lives. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, I want to read again what was taking place. Now I want you to understand that before King Hezekiah, Ahaz was king over Israel, and he did not walk with God. He was wicked, and he had done wicked things, and he had shut the church down. He had closed the doors of the temple, Sacrifice had stopped, uh, and stopped and, in and, and the house of God, but sacrifices took place for other gods. Ahaz was a wicked and perverse king. And Hezekiah comes, and the very first thing that he does as he becomes king is he goes and opens the church house. Look at verses 3 through 5. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and then sanctify the house of God, and and carry forth all of the filthiness out of this holy place. In other words, he said it was time for them to get rid of the sin that had corrupted them as a nation. In the first month and in the first year, King Hezekiah decided that they needed the church. It's so important that we have leaders that recognize the importance of the church, that we recognize that the church is as essential as the hospital down the street. Listen, my friends, we need to understand that we should be the first line of defense for our world. And and Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple, and and he he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, and he said to them, remove all the defilements from the sanctuary that had defiled it clean it out sanctify it make it ready for the presence of the lord to come back in listen can i tell you church if we're not seeing the presence of the lord it's not because the building's not clean it's because we're not clean he says sanctify the house of the lord you and i are the house of the lord he says to us clean out that which is defiling you get rid of that which is keeping god at bay so many christians are wondering where is god why do we not see a pouring out of god it's because we have content with our sin we have gotten to the place where we have said it's okay to live in my sin i don't have to make a change but King Hezekiah said, get rid of that which defiles. Hezekiah started his revival, this very revival, with himself and the priest and the house of the worship. Listen, my friends, don't think that revival is going to start in the street. Revival is going to start in God's house, among God's people. And revival always begins in the house of the Lord. So, what is the problem that prevents revival? What are the things that, that cause revival to stay at bay? I want to kind of look at some things. First of all, we often think that the problem is somewhere out there. It's there. There's the problem. The second thing that we think is the problem is they are the problem. They are the problem. I just don't know if we understand where who they or where there is and who they are. Listen, my friends, I want you to understand that Hollywood, uh, yes, it is too immoral. The media is too liberal. Professors are too cynical. Millennials are too rebellious. Sure, the world's a sinful place. But their sin isn't keeping God from pouring out His blessing upon the church. Can I get an amen or are we all sleeping? Listen, the sin of the world is not keeping God from pouring out His blessings on me and on you. Guess what? It is Me and you. We're doing it. It's because of our sin. It's because of our impurities. It's because we are not doing what we need to be doing. We're not living the way that we need to be living. Listen, sin in the church is the problem. What prevents awakening in a community is a community of Christians that continue to harbor secret bitterness, anger, and infidelities. Listen, nothing dries out the presence of the Holy Spirit like unconfessed sin in the house of God. Listen, my friends, nothing keeps God at bay other than that of our own unconfessed sin. The, but what is the prescription for revival? We see the problems. It's there it, and they, but it 's really us, but what is the prescription? How do I, what do I need to take to, to, to make that get better? First of all, uh, have you stirred yourself up to take hold of God? Are you simply just a Sunday morning seat warmer? Are you just coming to sit and say, "I want to be fed," or "I want to be blessed," or "I want to be uh, entertained? Or are you coming this morning seeking the desire to be in the presence of the Lord? Listen, folks, um, believing that uh, uh, God is going to show favor upon us when we just come to sit in a seat, listen, you're not doing God any favors by showing up. My friends, He is doing us a favor by showing up. Amen? All right, sin in the church keeps it. But we need to recognize that God wants to send revival. To the saints who have been glorified, formed by the spirit of this age, Dr. R.A. Torrey wrote this. He said, I have a theory that there is not a church, chapel, or mission on earth where you cannot have revival, provided there is little nucleus of faithful people who will hold on to God until he comes down. First, let a few Christians that need not to be many go thoroughly right with God themselves This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest, I'm sorry to say, cannot be done. And it will come to nothing. Second, Tory says, Let them bind themselves together to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, let them that put themselves at the disposal of God to be used of them as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. That's all. He says, this is sure to bring revival to any church or community. He said, I've given this prescription around the world. It has been taken by many churches and many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed and can it ever fail. What we need to do, my friends, is the Bible tells us and teaches us and Tori has just reminded us, we need to get right with God. We need to band together as a church to come and pray together seeking God's face together and unified in one agreement that God, we believe you want to come. We believe you want to send revival. We want your presence. We call upon you for your presence. And then to put ourselves at God's disposal as Isaiah said, "Hear, my Lord, send me. Hear, my Lord, speak through me. Hear my Lord, use me. Listen, my friends, revival and spiritual awakening always begins when God's people get serious about the sin that we keep hiding away thinking God does not see. Now, the second thing that we see is found in in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Skip down, if you would, to verse 25 through 30. Revival happens when God's people reconnect to Scripture. Listen, my friends, can I tell you that today, um, in the pulpits of many churches, everything is being preached except for God's Word. It's time that we recognize that we cannot continue to call ourselves the church of Jesus Christ and not preach from the book in which He has given to us. And not just selected text, but we got to believe that this is God's Word from cover to cover, that it is given by God, it is holy by God, and it is powerful in God. We need to believe in the Word of God once again. In 2 Chronicles, listen to what uh, we read here in verses 25 through 29. And he says, and he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and with psalteries and with harps according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king seer and Nathan the prophet for he was commanded or for, for the commandment of the Lord by the, his prophet. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer burnt offerings upon the altar. And when the the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpet and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped and the singers sang and the trumpets sounded. And all of this continued until the burnt offerings was finished. Now listen, Scripture is the lifeline of the church. The Word of God is, is the all in all in the church. Without it, the church ceases to be the church. Scripture must be the basis for our sermons... It must be the basis for our songs. It must be the motivation behind our prayer. My friends, we need to recognize that God has given us verses in the Word that we can pray back to God to call upon Him and to receive His great promises. Remove the centrality of Scripture from any of these and the church will slowly die a painful death of malnutrition. You know, the thing is that I believe that we in America have more Bibles than all of the rest of the world combined. But yet we have become the most illiterate in the Word of God. We carry them as a symbol, but we don't read them as a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We don't use them as the Word of God so that He can speak unto us and show us what we are doing right and what we are doing wrong. Listen, my friends, remove Scripture from the center of your family and your marriage and your relationships or your job, and they too will die a slow and painful death. But cling to the Scripture, savor it, examine its death, saturate yourself in it until it shapes everything in your mind and heart, and life will begin to flow. When the Spirit of God begins to work a revival, He uses nothing other than the Scripture to do it. He brings us to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit takes that Word and He implants it into our hearts. Every true revival of God's people, there must be the preaching of God's Word. This has been characterized throughout every revival throughout the Bible and throughout the church history. The powerful preaching of God's Word has ignited the church by God's uh, truth again and again and again. I love to read about the old days of revival, and, and I love to read about the Reformation period. And in the Reformation that took place back in Europe when the Word of God was translated out of Latin that no one or very few could understand, and then was put in a language that people that were the ordinary plowmen could read and find words whereby they might be saved. During one of the greatest revivals in the 18th century, one of the revivalists during that time, George Whitfield, and uh, he is recorded to, uh, uh, of, of this of saying about his own relationship to the Word of God. As Whitfield was preaching the Word of God, he, he said, "How I, I had a fresh sight of God's word ignited in my heart." He says, I began to read the Holy Scriptures upon my knees, laying aside all other books, and praying over, if possible, every line and every word. This proved meat indeed and drink unto my soul. I daily received fresh light and power from above. I got more truth and knowledge from reading God's Word in one month than I could have ever acquired from reading all of men's works. You see, the reality is, my friends, there is no other book like the book. There is no other word like God's word. There is no other help like God's help. And we must reconnect back to God's word. We must be committed to spending time in His word once again. Our hearts may gradually harden as we construct petty defenses to keep God out. But let me remind you, the Spirit wields the the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, cutting through and away every barrier and to achieve God's purpose in us. To the point the writer of Hebrews said this in chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder in soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it is the discerner of our thoughts and intents of our hearts." Listen, my friends, we need to reconnect to the Word of God. Listen, if you're not spending at least four to five days a week spending some time in the Word of God, you are starving yourself to death. It is important. If you need help... Get one of these and it will give you an opportunity. You don't need to book. You can go online. The instructions are there in the bulletin for you to be able to connect with this book. It's online. You can have it digitally. You can have, there's paper copies out there. Whatever works best for you. Do something to get you into the Word of God and give you a reason to pray every day. It's so important. The third thing that I want you to see, and we're not going to uh, go to a scripture reading because it's really engulfed in all of chapter 30, but revival happens when God's people recommit themselves to the gospel. Listen, my friends, revival happens when we recognize that, that, that we as sinful men and women have been saved by the grace of God and there are lost people all around us. When we are more concerned about our one than we are about number one. All right, listen, if you study Israel's times of spiritual decline throughout history, throughout the Bible, you will find that they're always characterized by what we would call spiritual forgetting, a spiritual amnesia as to where their salvation comes from. They forgot what God had done for them. They forgot His mighty works in the past. So Hezekiah, in chapter 30, Hezekiah points them to the Passover celebration and says to them that we have missed out on a great opportunity to, to worship the Lord. And he brings back the Passover and listen to what he says. He says, remember what God has done for you. The Passover was all about remembering where they came from and what God had brought them through. And Hezekiah says, remember, 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 remember what God has done for you. It's so important that we recognize what God has done for us. However, spiritual amnesia just isn't an Israelite problem. If most Christians today would only obey just half of what they already know, they would grow in their Christian walk exponentially and they would become more and more spiritually mature. For most of us, the key to experiencing personal revival and spiritual awakening isn't gleaning some new prospect. It's not getting some new information. It is getting back to what we already know, what God has done for us. Becoming more intimate with the greatness of the salvation that we have already possessed. As Martin Luther said, to progress in the Christian life is always to begin again and again. The Apostle Paul said we preach Christ, His person, Jesus Christ. That is my message to you, my friends. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, my friends, you need to hear that there is a Savior, and His name is Jesus the Christ. He is our Savior. He was crucified. He has finished the work the Father sent Him. He has done for you what we could not do for ourselves. He died on the cross, shed His blood, and He brought about a holy forgiveness for us. I tell you, that's what we need to be doing as a church today. We need to be getting back to the gospel we need to recommit ourselves to the to the gospel we need to commit to sharing our faith with others my friends if you're listening to me today rather sitting in this room or out in the car or on the online if you're hearing my voice and you have never received jesus christ as your savior listen i want you to understand that god is saying to you today that his greatest desire is for you to know him for you to be uh, freed from the sin that keeps you bound and to be set free from the things that limit you. Listen, my friends, He wants you to know Him. Now, you don't need to see a magician. You don't need to watch a movie, even though you might want to, you know, you might say, well, I'd much rather be doing that than sitting here this morning. That may be the case. And if that is the case, then I say to you this morning, what you need most of all is Jesus as Savior. You need to see him as crucified for you. Listen, my friends, that's what happens during revivals. We understand that we need to share the gospel that set us free from the sin that held us captive. We must recommit to the preaching of the gospel. In 1859, one preacher in an open air uh, who was preaching, and God had used him uh, to uh, do a great work He was hammering on another denomination, and it just so happened to be our Presbyterian friends. And one man shouted out to him, uh, uh, to the preacher, Leave the Presbyterians alone and preach Christ! That's what we need to do, my friends. We need to leave everybody else alone. And we need to get back to preaching Jesus Christ. It's what you need. It's what I need. It's what the world needs. They're talking about reform and new laws. And they won't change anything until God, through Jesus Christ, changes our heart. We don't need more laws. We don't need more reformation. What we need is salvation. We need Jesus and we need to get back to preaching the gospel. The pulpit needs to be hot once again with the gospel of Jesus Christ saying there's only one way, there's only one person, there's only one Savior, there's only one message and His name and His work is saving lost sinners from themselves. We have talked about it this morning, that importance of grace and what it means to be found in grace. So we get back to the gospel again and again, because grace can be found as we start, and grace will carry us to the finish line. The gospel, my friends, is like a well. You don't find better water by widening the walls. You find better water by digging deeper into the depths of the ground. If you want to know Christ better, quit just looking at this as something surface and start digging in. Get into the word of God. Plunge in deep and God will reveal himself to you in a wonderful way. And there will be a reviving of heart because you will be in the presence of the Lord. And then revival happens when God's people devote themselves to intercessory prayer. If you've got your Bibles, go to chapter 30. I want to read verses 18 through 22 with you this morning. In verses 18 through 22. And then they went in to Hezekiah king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. "'Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz uh, in his reign did cast away in his transgressions have been prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. "'Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city "'and went up to the house of the Lord.' And he brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven he goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bullocks and the priests and received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, when they had killed the rams, they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also all the lambs and they sprinkled unto the blood. Uh, uh, upon the altar. Now what is he saying? They went to the house of the Lord and they made sacrifice before the Lord. They bowed before the Lord. They lifted their voice. They obeyed. They honored Him. They made sacrifice for their sin. They confessed their sin. Hezekiah realized how feeble his attempt at reforming would be without the power of prayer behind him. So he pounded on God's door until God, uh, he saw God's healing in the, the heart of his people. It's not just that prayer brings awakening, my friends. Prayer is the awakening. Let me just say that again prayer doesn't just bring awakening. Prayer is the spiritual awakening of God's people. When we see our need to pray, when we see our need to pray together, when we come together and say, "We, where two or three or more are gathered together in my name, there God is in the midst. His presence has showed up. Hezekiah made an attempt to, to reform his nation, but knew that he needed prayer as his power. It is a contradiction to claim that we want the power of God, but do not pray. Charles Spurgeon said, Prayer pulls the rope down below, and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. And then he goes on to say, Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk on the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continually with all of his might. How can we have revival? How do we seek the face of God? The prayer that precedes revival has three elements. And listen, I want to give them to you as I close this morning. First of all, we need to recognize God's sovereignty. I'm going to go back to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah, in his writing, have seen the uh, the things of the Lord, says this in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, You are our Father, we are the clay, You are the potter, and all we are are the work of Your hands. We must believe that God is God. We must recognize the sovereignty of God. God doesn't want a place. Listen to me, church. God doesn't want a place in your life. He doesn't even want a prominent place in your life. God wants the preeminent place in your life. He wants to be number one. And when we place anything else before God, we have placed an idol in our lives. We need to have God as the number one thing and person in our life. Listen, my friends. The Bible says that God is sovereign and that we are clay and that He molds us and He makes us after His will. And my friends, we need to recognize that we are but clay in the hands of God. He is God. He is the one shaping us. We should not be telling God how to run the world, but we must be telling God, I am living in Your will, Father. Shape me in it. The second thing that prayer must proceed is that we must remember God's mercy. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 9, Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, for we are your people. What he's saying is pray, O God, have mercy on us. Don't keep your anger before us. Lord, we need you. We want you. We must have you. Show yourself, O God. I said this last week, and I'll say it again today, that God's greatest desire is to extend mercy. He would much rather forgive sin than punish sin. But God cannot put away our sin by forgiving us unless we first put away our sin by forsaking it. Did you hear me, church? So many of us think that repentance is just saying, God, you know that I did this, so I'm sorry, and we have no intentions of ever changing it. Will you forgive me? And God says, I can't forgive you if you have no intention of changing the way you're living. God is calling us. Church, we need to recognize if we want the presence of God, the power of God, if we want to be in His presence and power, we must forsake our sin. We must turn away as we call for repentance. The problem is so often we're not willing to repent, we're just willing to confess. We want God's mercy, but prayer without repentance is religious smokescreen. It's simply a farce. We don't mean it. The third thing that prayer does and the third aspect that prayer must have if we're going to see revival, is a respect for God's glory. Isaiah had come to the conclusion, and here's his conclusion as I, as I read uh, chapter 64. Oh God, we remember the glory. We remember when you spoke to us from your sacred temple. Our fathers had told us about it. What a glorious time it was. Oh God, we want your glory again. O oh God, show thy face, show thy glory. Hezekiah, when he opened the doors of the Lord, he told the priests to cleanse themselves and to cleanse the house of God. And then he called the people back to the house of God and said, God used to meet us here. It's time for us to come and to claim that again. But sanctify yourself before you come. Prepare your life before you come. Make your life open to the presence of the Lord. That's what revival is. It's when God comes down from the heavens and fills the place with His presence. Don't you want to see it? I want my grandchildren to see it. I want them to experience what it is to see the power of God again. Perhaps you and I today haven't been willing to stir ourselves to seek the Lord. Perhaps we've dressed in our own rags of self-righteousness and said, God, aren't you satisfied with what I can do? Perhaps you're quite satisfied with where you're living in your time and place of complacency. Listen, complacency is never where God lives. He cannot be found in the midst of our complacency. But if you and I will seek God, I'm telling you that God wants to come down that God wants to visit us, that He wants to fill this place. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's leaning over the walls of heaven. And we don't have to persuade God to send a revival. All we have to do is get our lives in such a way that we permit God to send a revival. So let me close church with this. And for those of you that are online watching, let me tell you that first and foremost, we must examine our own heart. We must search the depths of our heart to make sure that we are where we need to be. We must confess and repent. That doesn't just mean saying, oh, I know I've sinned or made a mistake. That means that we're getting serious with God. We're calling sin, as He calls it. And then we're making changes in our life so that we're not continuing to do it. God isn't waiting for the world to clean up its act. He isn't waiting for a new strategy. He's not waiting for a new leader. He's waiting for those of us in the church to stand in the gap and desire revival like we've never desired it before. By courageously confessing our sins and standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ once again. Where are you this morning? Where are you in your sins? If you need Jesus as your Savior, my friends, I want to encourage you to simply just call out to Him. Jesus said if we pray and acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of His glory, that we believe that He is the virgin birth, um, a sinless Son of God who came to die on Calvary's cross and three days later after spending it in the grave rose from the dead and is ascended into heaven living there standing up for us every day. If we believe that with all of our heart, Jesus said, if you call upon me, thou shalt be saved. Listen, my friends, that's what Jesus did for us. What we must do for him is we must make our life available for him. We must turn our lives to him. He can't be our savior if he doesn't become our Lord. No way. Savior and Lord are are hand in hand. If we don't surrender our life to Him, then we cannot accept the salvation that He has given unto us. So my friends, if you've never done that, simply pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. And if you will show me how, I will live for you all the days of my life. Salvation is that simple. But yet, Walking in Christ is a lifelong experience. You must first start at the foot of the cross, then begin to live and walk towards the gates of heaven. Do you want revival? I do. Do you believe that God wants to send revival? I do. Do you believe that God can send revival? I do. I believe that He's done it in the past, and I believe that He wants to do it in the future. I think that He can do it in the present. But we must do our part. The altar is open this morning. With a time of silence, I'm going to ask everyone to stand for your feet. And for those of you online, I want to pray, and then we're going to sign off. But I thank you for for worshiping with us. If you need to speak to us, our contact information is there on the screen. Please call us. Josh or I will be glad to get back to you. And uh, we will help you in any way that we can. Father, we praise you and thank you for the power of the presence of God. We pray that, Heavenly Father, that those that are online and those that are here will pray, O Lord... Send a Holy Ghost revival upon us, O Lord. Begin to cleanse our house, O Lord. Begin to cleanse the temple of the Lord, that where we live. Lord, would you get rid of that which defiles me. And Lord, would you remove those things that keep you from having the preeminence in my life. Lord, I love you and I thank you that you love us. Now, Father, for all that are here and all that are there, Lord, let us be the people who call down a Holy Ghost revival upon this nation once again. In Jesus' name we pray.